0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. We invite you to return to Genesis 29. We'll be looking at the last portion of Genesis 29 and into Genesis Thirty This morning, all through to verse 24, Genesis 30, Genesis 29, starting with verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, He has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister she said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her, so that she may give birth to on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said "Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar and Leah conceived again and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Heavenly Father, we do look to you this morning, Father, and certainly if we're going to uh, get uh, a message from this this passage father. We we look to you. Oh father teach us Teach us and guide us. O oh, lord uh, Open up your word to our, our hearts father and and change us. Oh father by way of the message that you have for us here Be our teacher and our guide we pray in jesus name Amen and amen the Psalm that we read this morning is our call to worship, and then verse one is we used for a scripture memory verse, is um, a, a verse that is really probably familiar to everyone. It's probably one of those verses where I know this is in the Bible, unless the Lord builds the house. Uh, but then, you, you, if you ever have a verse in your mind, you're thinking, Now, where is that at? And you, you know you're looking through the Bible all over the place trying to find where the verse is, and it's probably one of those verses. It's Psalm 127, verse one, and it contains a truth in it that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. And I, at the beginning of the uh, of the mission work here at Tri-State Community Church, very early on, we began to pray, Lord, we ask that you would build this church, that you would build this ministry in such a way. That everyone who is watching and all of us who are watching would clearly see that it is you who are building this ministry. That it's not being built as the result of the pastor. It's not being re- built as the result of Rick Anderson, it's not being built as a result of any particular family that's come into the church, it's not being uh, built as a result of any one individual who happens to be here, but know that the building is indeed visible to all, the building is being done by you. Now, that, we, have, we, we have prayed that way for almost 11 years, and think about it for a minute, think about it. How did you come here? Was it the result of me meeting with you at Tim Hortons and talking you into coming here? Not that that would be a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But over and over again, as we've all talked about this, it's been very clear that it is the Lord who has brought you here, isn't it? And quite frankly, if I could talk you into coming well someone else could talk you into leaving fair enough but when the lord brings you here that's a different ball game and it's the lord who's building the house isn't it of the many promises that god has given to abraham and we've read those promises and god gives those promises to Abraham starting in chapter 12, and then he will repeat those promises to Abraham many times. And in our study of Abraham's life, we came to those promises. There's one promise that God continually gave to Abraham that we've yet see come to fruition, and it is the promise of myriads of descendants, isn't it? At one point, God says to Abraham, look up at the stars. And if you can number the stars, so will you be able to number your offspring. Now, how many covenant children did Abraham have? He had one. (laughs) So Abraham, in this life, didn't see that promise, did he? Now his son, Isaac, how many covenant children did Isaac have? One. Isaac didn't see it either. But here, beginning in verse 31, we're beginning to see God moving. And what is God doing? He is building His house. That is what He's doing. That is what we begin to see in verse 31. And this would begin with Jacob, Abraham's grandson. And in verse 31 of chapter 29... Reread uh, the words, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, what's going on there? Well, let's be really careful with the word hate in verse 31. Because the modern reader who reads this may come to the conclusion that Jacob can't stand Leah. That he looks doesn't even want to hear the, the word Leah. He doesn't even want to hear her name. That she's off in a tent somewhere in the far corner of his camp. And just the very sight of her is like nails down a chalkboard. We could come to that conclusion if if we were just looking at this verse. Because after all, the word hated is being used, isn't it? But the context won't support that kind of interpretation. And something we need to remember is sometimes when the Bible uses the word hate, it doesn't mean that kind of hatred. In fact, I'll give you an example. Jesus in the gospel, in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, I think. Jesus says, unless a man hates his mother and his, or his father and his mother and his brothers and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Is he saying that we, uh, if we're going to be his disciple, then we need to hate our parents and our siblings and even our own lives? Now, we know better than that because it, that interpretation will not stand under the scrutiny of the rest of the teaching of the Bible because Jesus calls us to love our enemies doesn't he? So then what does Jesus mean? What he means is we're to to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, we're to love Jesus more than we love our parents, more than we love our siblings, more than we love even our own lives. Uh, A while back, I was, uh, in fact, it wasn't that long ago, so I I was mowing grass. I was listening to a sermon and the, uh, the, the minister who was preaching counseled the young women in his congregation, gave them this counsel, the young single women in his congregation. He said to them, listen, don't you ever marry a man who loves you more than he loves Jesus. I thought, wow, that's really good counsel. Don't do it. Don't marry a man who loves you more than he loves Jesus. Now, why? Well, she'll be marrying an idolater, won't she? And he will never be able to be the husband that she should have while he's loving her more than he loves Jesus. And we could flip that around. We could say uh, to to young fellows, we we could say the same thing. Don't marry a woman that loves you more than Jesus. You'll be marrying an idolater. And let's not any of us love our spouse more than we love Jesus, or we're asking our spouses to be married to an idolater. Does that make sense? The whole idea of of hated here. Um, Back to our text here. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now what does this mean? Some of our modern translations... Well, in some of your translations you're looking at, instead of hated, may have unloved. And that's the sense in which we should take this. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, if you back up to verse 30, uh, where you, you see the second part of verse 30, that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. Notice it doesn't say that Jacob loved uh, Rachel and hated Leah. It says that he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Now, it has to be that way. Think about how this came to be. I mean, Jacob agreed to work for Laban for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage, right? And we're, we see that Jacob, he is head over heels in love with Rachel. I mean, he just truly loves her. In the scripture memory verse that we read from last week, I mean, it just displays that love, doesn't it? I mean, that's some verse. He worked, for her, he worked for her hand in marriage for seven long years, but they just seemed like a couple of days because of the love he had for her. Boy, that'd be a wonderful card, wouldn't it? That'd just make for a wonderful card. These seven years have just been like a couple of days because I love you so much. And on the night of his wedding, his father-in-law substitutes Rachel for her older sister Leah. And Jacob wakes up in the morning only to discover that he's not been with Rachel all night. He's been with her older sister. Now, um, here, what we have in verse 31, if you like to take notes, I, I have in my notes one word. I think you'll like it. It's called Aftermath. Because what we have here really truly is the aftermath of what Laban has done to his family. What Laban has done to his daughters, we're going to see here in this text. Very cool thing has taken place here. Uh, and it's something that's that's really... it's. We're going to see it fan out for many, many decades in the people of Israel, actually. Um, it's It's very... It's a very cruel thing that is taking place. Now, Leah, uh, she is uh, technically, if you will, I'd make an argument she's not really married to Jacob, but Jacob doesn't cast her away. So in all practical purposes, she is married to Jacob, and she discovers that she is unloved. Now, um, the Lord opens her womb, we're told, But we are told at the end of verse 31 that Rachel continued to not have any children at all. And if you look at verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Now, these names that are given to these sons, they have meaning to them. And you'll probably, a lot of you will have footnotes after Reuben. And if you look down in the, in the margin, you'll see that Reuben means see a son. And this actually gives us, now I don't think we should go hog wild and let our imagination go crazy here. But this does give us a little window into the heart of Leah and a little window into the heart of Rachel. I don't think we should take license to go real far with this. But I think what we see here is that we're we're given a snapshot of what's going on in the heart. What What does Leah call her firstborn son? She names him Reuben. Why? Because Reuben means see a son. Now, what is this woman doing? This woman so desires to be loved. And this is a culture that prizes children, especially sons, one of the worst things that can happen to you as a woman in this culture is to not be able to have children. That is a scorn. It is a reproach. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One, children are prized. Uh, large families are prized. Uh, children are prized. But secondly, children are a pension plan. You think about it, I mean, the only way you can survive is to work hard in the fields. Now, how are you going to do that once you're too old to work hard in the fields all day? How how well, you're gonna have children. You're gonna have sons, and they're gonna be able to take care of you in your old age. Without them, what are you gonna do? So it's really important that you have these sons. Now, here's here's Leah. She's she's giving Jacob his firstborn son, and she names him Reuben. And what is the significance of this? She's saying, Jacob, look, a son. Will you love me, Jacob? A son? Will you love me? And you can just see, c- c- you know, the, the more I study this passage, the more I really feel for Leah. Now, Leah got herself in this mess, no doubt. There's no way that Leah could be in this if she didn't participate with her with her father. I mean, she she went along with being substituted for Rachel. But let's let's think about this for a minute. Imagine living in this culture. And I'll I'll say this to to the ladies that are in, in the group this morning. Imagine living in this culture. The firstborn is the one who has to be married off first. And you're Leah. And, you know, every time the neighbor boys come over to play or whatever, they all want your little sister's phone number. Why? Because your little sister is just really cute. Your little sister is gorgeous. And it reminds you that you're just average. And there's all this pressure on you. You have to be the first one married. Think of the pressure. Think of how much pressure there would be on you. I think that in part probably led, and I'm reading between the lines here, just take this as my own opinion, But I think that probably had a lot to do with with Leah's willingness to go along with this. But this having been said, Leah has her own desires and her own needs. We all have a desire and need to be loved, don't we? And here she, she is not experiencing that. In verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Notice there's that word hated again. When I first began studying this, I wondered why the ESV translators kept using hated. And I think, well, I should use unloved. I mean, that would be clearer, wouldn't it? But the more I studied this passage, the more I think, "Nah, I think hated's good. I think hated is good. Now, I don't know. I can't ask the ESV translators. I don't know why they chose hated. The King James Version chose hated. I don't know why, but here I have a sneaking suspicion it's for this reason And again, I'll ask the ladies, I'll ask you, you tell me what you think of this. Every time Leah, who's working so hard to receive Jacob's love, every time she perceives that coldness, it would come across as hatred, wouldn't it? She's working so hard to get Jacob's love. But it's very clear that he loves her little sister. He can't give her what she wants. And when she gets what he can give to her, there's a coldness to it that feels like hatred. That's my suspicion. And I think it's I think it's spot on, isn't it? Notice what Leah is doing. She conceived again, verse 33. And she says, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, she has given me this, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word for heard. What's Leah been doing? She's been pouring her heart out to God. Leah is a woman of faith. And she's been casting her cares upon the Lord. And she recognizes as this second son comes, she's recognizing that God is hearing her and answering her. And now every time she calls her son Simeon, Simeon, come here! She's going to remember that the Lord heard her prayers. And so will everyone else. When they hear the name Simeon, She's a woman of faith. She seems to be growing in her faith too. Verse 34, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. And Levi sounds like the Hebrew for attached. Here you see her heart again from another angle, don't you? Sometimes people will say, what's up with all these gangs? How can young men get involved in all of these gangs? You know, what in the world, why would you want to be involved in a gang and go through these initiations and some of the things that they go through? And I'll tell you, it's one word. It's attachment. A lot of those... Young men come from terrible, terrible homes and home life, and they want to be attached. They want to feel attached to something, and that 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 need for attachment, the need. Have you ever felt the need? You just want to fit in. In a house, how hard is it to not feel like you fit in? That hurts, doesn't it? When you just don't feel like you fit in, like you're not attached to anyone, like you don't, like you're not loved. And here we see in her heart, we see her just pouring out. She names her third son Levi. She's hoping that now three sons, she'll feel like she fits in. And in verse 35, she conceives again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. There I think we see more spiritual growth in Leah because she names her fourth son Judah. And Judah sounds like the Hebrew for praise. I will praise the Lord. He has given me four sons. And every time she calls Judah, every time she calls his name out of the field, she's reminded of the praise that she will give the Lord for for him, her fourth son. And that brings us to the beginning of of chapter 30, verse 1. And there we read, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Pay careful attention to this word, envy because it's poison. There's poison. There's poison in this now. What is going on? Rachel is now envying her older sister, maybe for the first time in her life. She's envying her older sister. Now, what's wrong with that? What is envy? Envy is when we experience resentment over the blessing that someone else has received. We have this feeling of 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 resentment they have something that we want and we resent them for it and it is a powerful emotion and it's capable if it if it's you know if it's if it's nurtured and it's fed it is a capable it's the capability of leading us into doing awful awful things uh, envy and its close cousin jealousy can lead us into doing uh, just awful, awful things. Notice what Rachel said. It's like she leaves sense of her mind. She says to her husband Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. You see that phrase, Give me children or I shall die. Now what kind of what kind of what kind of talk is that? It's the talk of envy. It's not rational. There's nothing rational about it. Once it gets a hold of you, it starts to consume you. And it doesn't just consume you. It'll consume those who are around you as well, as we're going to see. And how does Jacob respond? In verse 2, Jacob's anger is kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you, withheld from you the fruit of the womb? What is, what is Jacob saying? He's saying, "Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, is what he is saying. You know... Children don't just come from the physical activity but that the Lord has to bless. Children come from the Lord is is how Jacob is answering Rachel. And then Rachel in verse 3 she takes a leaf out of Sarah's book. Notice what she does. Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf. Now, as bizarre as this sounds to us, this was something that was lawful in that day. It was lawful in that day. It's not something that the Scriptures don't condone this. The Scriptures don't. God doesn't call His people to do this. This is something that is lawful in that culture and in that society. But, but listen, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. There are a lot of things in our country that are legal that God, I can tell you right now, can't stand. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. And besides that, the story of of Abraham and Hagar should have been a well-known story in this household. And the misery that it caused should have been well-known. But again, envy, it'll blind you. It's not rational. It'll just blind you. It'll just consume you. There's this blessing that someone else has that you want. And the bitterness will just take over. And she says, here's Bilhah, marry Bilhah, and Bilhah will give me, she'll give me children. And of course, in verse five, Jacob does it. And he, she bears a son. And then in verse six, Rachel says, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name, Dan. And if you look down, Dan sounds like the Hebrew for judged. Now, where is Rachel on this? I've tried to straighten that out all week, and I'm just going to leave that alone. How's that sound? Uh, I think just by doing that, I think you get the drift, don't you? Um, In verse 7, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled my sister and prevailed. And what does she name her second son? Naphtali, which sounds like the Hebrew for wrestling. She's trying to get one up on her sister. At this point in time, when I read this, I think of a tennis match. You know, it's like, okay, uh, Leah's up four. Up, Oh, okay, here we go. Uh, Rachel's up one. Up, up, Rachel's up two. It's four to two. I mean, it, it, the rivalry. You see the rivalry that's taking place here? The ugly rivalry. Now, in verse 9, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, and again, I, I would you know, right here, how does Leah know that she's not building she's not bearing children anymore? It's because Jacob is not withholding conjugal rights from her. He's not. He's not casting her away. Uh, we need to understand that. So what does Leah do? Well, two can play this game. She jumps in and she she gives her servant Zilpah to Jacob. And then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said. Good fortune has come and it's it's like, oh Leah, what are you doing? And notice what she says here. You were doing so good in verses 31 through 35. Now what has happened? That envy is cancerous, isn't it? Look what look what happens. She says, Good fortune has come. I don't think as believers we should talk that way ever. We shouldn't talk like fortune. We shouldn't talk like, doesn't fortune like remind you of a fortune teller? We shouldn't talk like chance and luck and all that stuff. And notice good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's servant, verse 12, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. And then everything reaches a new low, beginning in verse 14. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, what's up with that? You mandrakes. What's up with that? While the ancients would be smiling and giggling right now. In fact, if we lived in that culture, you know, some of us might be, you know, not wanting to be seen, but we might be chuckling. Why would we be chuckling? Because to the ancients, mandrakes were sometimes referred to as love apples. Love apples. And it was believed by them that mandrakes, that the mandrake could enhance uh, sexual activity and enhance fertility. That's what was believed. Now, what goes on here? Here is Leah with these mandrakes, or these love apples, if you will, and uh, Rachel comes and says, "Please give me some of your son's mandrakes." Notice how Leah responds in verse 15. She said to her, "Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also?" Now, let's sort that out for a minute. What is Leah saying to Rachel? Leah is saying to Rachel that Rachel's taken away her husband. And you've got to scratch your head here. Wait a second. Have you forgot the wedding night? That was supposed to be my wedding. No, it wasn't. I'm the oldest. I get married first. Yeah, but my, Jacob labored for seven years for me. You see how twisted this is? Look at the mess that Laban has made. Look what he has done to his daughters. Look what he has done to his children. And notice what Rachel says. Well, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Now, this is a low. This is really a low. And in fact, it has a, it, just, it has the scent of it of another story that we read—a really dark story where Esau has been out in the field all day, and he comes in and he's famished. And Jacob happens to be making a bowl of stew, and Esau says to his to his brother, "Oh, give me some of that stew. I am famished." And what does what does Jacob say? "Sell me your birthright. Give me your birthright, and I'll give you some stew." Something sacred is exchanged for food. Here we have something sacred, the marriage bed being exchanged for mandrakes. This is ugly. It's ugly. Now, in verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived, and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Is, is, she's not even thinking straight, is she? She's not even thinking straight. That's what this will do to you. In verse 19, Leah conceives again and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah says, God has endowed me with good a good endowment. And now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. Then afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So Leah bears Jacob's six sons, six of the 12 tribes of Israel, six of the heads of the 12, 12 tribes of Israel uh, have Leah as their mother. And in verse 22, we see, I think we can see a turn in Rachel's uh, spiritual life here in verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Notice it says God listened to her. What has she been doing? Many, many years of barrenness and reproach and scorn and it seems to have humbled her. It seems to have humbled her. And she has cast her cares upon the Lord and he has answered her. And she has borne a son and his name is Joseph saying may the lord add to me another son okay what do we do with all of this i told donald just before we come in here i i said you know this 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 sermon has been a lot of work i mean uh, <laughs> what do we do with this you know what do we do with this well so far we have focused pretty much on leah and rachel leah rachel leah rachel leah rachel but we I think it becomes clear when we back up and we say, no, wait a second. now Leah is not the star of this passage. Neither is Leah. Leah is not, or Rachel rather. Leah is not the star. Rachel is not the star. Who is the star? It's always the Lord. And what is the Lord doing here? The Lord is building his house. And I, the first thing that I think is so amazing about this passage is is that the Lord is building his house even in the midst of all of this sin and chaos that's going on. This is a messed up family. Amen? But, you know, um, we all belong to messed up families, don't we? And, And this ought to comfort us. Not that our families are messed up. I don't want you to think, oh, the preacher had a great sermon this morning. He said, boy, we ought to be thankful our families are messed up. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is our families are already messed up. We ought to be thankful that the Lord can work in the midst of of such twisted up minds and hearts as this. Families that are full of bitterness, resentment, uh, jealousy, rivalry, God is still working in the midst. Could God have given 11 sons to one woman? Amen. He could have. God gave 15 sons to my great-grandmother. Well, not sons, but 15 children. Two of them died at birth. There were 13 children. She raised 13 children. And many of us, some of you may have great great parents that did that. Some of us may have moms and dads who did that. But it was popular in the 20s and 30s, and... Prior to that, to have big families, wasn't it? Large families. God could have done that with one one woman. But he worked in the midst of all of this chaos. He worked in the midst of all this sin. That's not in any way to say this sin is okay. This chaos is okay. No, that's not what I'm saying. I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that God is really displaying himself to be a father, isn't he? Some of us are parents. Do our kids always do things that we're thankful for? But guess what? Did we always do things that our parents are thankful for? And you always have to make this decision. What do I do about this? How do I punish this? Or... Do I punish this? Do I let this go? Or do I let that go? You, you know the decision. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? What do we do? The Father is the only one who knows what to do perfectly. You notice how how he blesses, but he also disciplines. And then even after discipline, he blesses. But here's the thing. He's always right there, isn't he? He's always right there. And I think I find it to be so amazing. And a couple of thoughts, and I'll close. Just a, couple, just a couple of thoughts here. You know, if if Leah and Rachel could have had their minds set on having the Lord's approval instead of Jacob's or everyone around them, because we see their minds are obvi- obviously, Leah's mind's on Jacob's approval a lot. If they could have had their minds on God's approval, a lot of this envy And jealousy and rivalry would have dissipated, wouldn't it? Or I might even put it another way. Let's go a step further. If Leah and Rachel would have had their hearts set on their blessed Redeemer and the riches of redemption, then envy, rivalry, jealousy would have given over to praise and joy. How do things work out for Leah and Rachel? Well, Rachel conceived and bore a son, and his name's Joseph. And in the course of our study of Genesis, we're going to be studying Joseph's life quite a bit. And some of you who know the story—is Joseph your average, ordinary guy? No way. He is a man who every mom would be proud to call her son. He's a great—he's a—he's one of the great men of God in the Old Testament. And Rachel can say, "That's my boy." And what about Leah, the unloved? Leah, the unloved. Let's think. Just a, let's just think about two of her sons. One of her sons' names Levi. Who is Levi? He's the great grandfather of this guy called Moses. Do you realize that? And if we want to speak in biblical languages, we can skip generations, and we can say Leah is Moses' mother. We can talk that way. Bible talks that way all the time. We'll skip a couple generations. Moses. Well, she looks upon Moses. That's my boy. But there's another son. There's another son that, that, that Leah has, and his name is Judah. Now what does that mean? Well, Judah has a son. We're skipping a few generations. But one of his sons, named, is David. King David. And the entire line of Israel's kings come from unloved Leah. If her mind could have been set on the things that were above, she wouldn't have participated in this rivalry. It would have been easier. It wouldn't have taken all of the pain away, but it would have been easier for her to deal with her station in life because she would have truly seen her station in life. She is the mother of the line of kings. And her greatest descendant is who? Who is Leah's greatest descendant? Jesus. When she looks upon Jesus in one sense, Jesus, in terms of his humanity, she's one of the few women that can say, that's my boy. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O Lord, unless you build the house, those who build labor in vain. But O Father, in this great passage of Scripture, that at the start we think, what do we do with this? Father, as we labor before you and as we study and we, and we wrestle, <laughs> oh Lord, you have so much in this passage to teach us and we've only touched the tip of the iceberg this morning. But we see that here you are building your house. And the amazing thing is we see you're such a father in the midst of all this sin, polygamy, having multiple wives is something that you, you absolutely detest, but here are your kids. And as parents, we can, we can relate with that. These are our kids. Look what they're doing. But, oh, Father, in the midst of all that, you're truly being a father. You're disciplining when discipline is needed. You're blessing as blessings are needed. And you're so blessed beyond anyone's imagination that Leah, the unloved, good, in her genealogical descendantry identified Jesus and her line. Oh, Father, that Rachel would give birth to Joseph. Oh, Father, we so thank you. Oh, Father, that when you build a house, you build a magnificent house. And we thank you for that house. And we thank you, oh, Father, for engrafting us in it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen.